you can be wise and make mistakes. And it's been um, really comforting for me to learn and listen to people older than myself who are very open about that and who are open about continuing to make mistakes. Welcome to Perennials, a podcast about growing up, getting wise, and trying to live a good life. I'm Victoria Russell. I started listening to podcasts in May of 2014. I had just started working for the Dodge Poetry Festival, and I had a car commute of at least two hours every day. And one of my coworkers said, you should start listening to podcasts, and I think you would really like On Being with Krista Tippett. So I started listening, and I just remember it feeling magical. I would be driving home on these warm summer nights, and... I would just be listening to these conversations about the deepest questions of what it means to be human. And Krista Tippett was such a generous and smart and kind um, host. And the show just gave me so much to think about and ponder and just gave me so much joy of in the mystery and curiosity that it invoked. And today is such a special episode of Perennials because I got to have a conversation with one of the producers of On Being, um, actually one of the four uh, founding members who brought On Being into independence in 2013, um, Lily Percy. Lily was born in Columbia and immigrated to Miami with her family at the age of four. She studied English literature and film studies at Florida International University and has worked as an associate editor at Movie Maker Magazine and as a producer for StoryCorps and NPR's All Things Considered on the weekends, where she produced the series Movies I've Seen a Million Times. She's also the host of the podcast This Movie Changed Me. If you love movies, you have to listen to this show. In each episode, Lily has a conversation with a guest about a movie that's been really important to them, and the conversations are always so warm and human and funny and really touching and smart, just like Lily. I was so happy that I got to have a conversation with her and that she was like everything I had thought she would be and so much more, such a kind person and such a smart person. Um, She mentions in this episode how when she worked for StoryCorps, She gained a lot from hearing all of these stories of all the people that were sharing about their lives, but she gained the most from the ones that didn't make it to air. The ones that made it to air usually had like a happy ending or kind of a, you know, an ending that could be kind of tied up neatly with a bow. And she said she really learned a lot from the stories that didn't make it to air because they were maybe a lot more complicated and painful and full of mistakes, but that showed her that we can we can keep going in life and that even the wisest people continue to make mistakes throughout their lives and are not perfect and are flawed lily really reminded me in this conversation that wisdom isn't about age or perfection or never making mistakes or always getting it right and knowing the answers it's not a state that we just reach one day i think it's a way of being and i think what lily brings to this conversation is a reminder that being present and reflective and connected and open and kind is to be wise. Lily, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I actually wanted to start by asking about your name and how you would prefer me to address you because I know that um, there's a bit of a story behind the name Lily Percy. And I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. Sure. Yeah, this is uh, Minnesota. I moved to to Minneapolis a little over six years ago. And Minnesota actually gave me back my name, which is a funny thing to think about. Um, But before moving here, I've always gone by Lily Percy. Um, I was born in Columbia and moved to Miami with my parents when I was four. And in Colombia, which is like most of Latin America, it's very traditional to have uh, two names, you know, four names on your birth certificate because you take your both your parents' last names. Um, but moving to this country, you know, I went from Liliana Maria, Liliana Maria, to Lily in school. So when I got into school, my my teachers just started calling me Lily. And, and from what my brother remembers, I just came home one day and was like, yeah, they're calling me Lily. So I guess it's Lily. <laughs> and I never questioned it, you know, and um, most of my, my teachers uh, growing up were Anglo-American uh, in Miami. And the mo- even though the student population was majority uh, Latino. 
And um, yeah, I never questioned it at all, literally until I moved to Minnesota and um, started experiencing for the first time what it was like to be seen as a white, uh, a white Anglo-American. Um, in Miami, it's really common to, at least when I was growing up there, it's really common to identify with your country of origin. So, you know, even if, let's say, you were second generation or third generation, um, you would say, I'm Nicaraguan, I'm Honduran, I'm Mexican, I'm, I'm Cuban, I'm Colombian. And you never really talked about whether you're white, black, brown, like nobody talked about that. And so moving to Minnesota, a place that um, on the surface is very much white, Scandinavian influenced, um, I started having all these feelings about people assuming that I was a white Anglo-American, you know, and um, I was really angry for a while and I couldn't figure out what that was about until um, I actually was on a trip for work to Northern Ireland and this poet, Padre Gotuma, who Krista, the host of On Being, was interviewing, um, talked about the Irish language being in his bones and it really resonated to me because what I realized was that what I really missed and what I was going through here amongst a lot of other identity issues. Um, but what was at the core of it was I really missed speaking Spanish and I missed having um, a Spanish speaking community. And, uh, you know, that was my third year here. And during that time I sought out Spanish speaking community. And so I started volunteering at a community center here, um, Centro Tyrone Guzman, just wonderful. Um, and then just started remembering that I have this whole other identity that, um, I don't often engage at work. For some reason, I felt very much like that was for me at home or that was for me in my personal life, but it wasn't something I brought to work. Um, and I think it's because for a long time uh, in workspaces, um, I had seen how it could be exploited um, or used to take off a diversity uh, mm -hmm. checklist marker. And I always really wanted to be seen as someone who worked hard and did good work and wasn't being accepted into uh, a program or, you know, brought onto a team or to a show because I was a Latina woman. Um, but I realized that I am a Latina woman, so <laughs> I can't, I can't deny those things or, or choose to bring them in only when I feel comfortable. Um, so that's been kind of the journey. And so as to what you can call me, Lily works perfectly. Um, and I still, you know, professionally have gone by Lily. Um, Krista has been really kind and patient in um, my journey here of being like, is it Lily? Is it Liliana Maria? What is it? And so, I mean, on the staff page, I use my full name um, just as a way to, to kind of reclaim that identity. But Lily is, is great. Mm. That's so interesting. And just even the idea that it's not totally cut and dry. And one day you weren't like, okay, I have the answer now. Now I know exactly what I want to be called all the time. It's, it seems like that's something that's still kind of fluid for you or that you're like figuring out. Is that fair to say? It is. It is. And I think it's one of the things that I've learned from, um, honestly, your generation and the people younger that I work with um, in their 20s which is less of a rigidity around identity. Mm -hmm. um, it's been a real gift for me because I think that I, at different places and, and stages in my life, I thought I have to be one thing or I have to be this and I can't be, I can't change my mind either. I can't rethink things. Um, you know, I love movies and, and recently I was talking to uh, city councilwoman Andrew Jenkins who talked about Malcolm X. And one of the things that really struck me watching that movie now at age 37 was the fact that here's the example of a man who was an extremely public historic figure who changed his mind in public repeatedly. Um, and what an example, because honestly, I think most of my life I've been scared to ever make mistakes in public mm. um, or to even say the thing that I may change my mind on. Like I wouldn't even occur to me to say something unless I felt completely certain about it. And so I think that's one of the things that I've been going through is the, the realization that it does, that it does change and it is fluid. And that's actually a sign that you're still growing, right? And that that doesn't stop at a particular age and um, that there are very few things that one can say with certainty as well. Yeah. It's funny because I feel like what I struggle with is I can just get stuck in that, like, well, everything can always change and nothing's certain. And there's so many mm -hmm. layers and shades. Like to me, actually, something that has always 
that's always this question is like, how do you have conviction and how do you make decisions when you need to? Um, and also like kind of have an open mind and try to be a little less judgmental and like just trying to find a balance between those two things I find tricky because I can so easily get paralyzed by the like, well, I don't want to make any decision because everything could change, (laughs) you know? I totally get that. Yeah. And one of the things that's, that's hard to accept is that some people may judge you, right? They may judge you for changing your mind and, Mm -hmm. and making a decision that you then go, you know what? that wasn't right for me. I'm going to, I'm going to do something different. Um, but the people that I admire the most in life have been folks who have been unafraid to change their minds and unafraid to say, that doesn't work for me. Maybe it worked for me at this point or even last week. And I've decided it's just not right. Um, and really ultimately taking care of themselves. I think so much of this is all part of the, the very broad language we now use around self care, um, which I've come to realize is really just self love. Um, which is the hardest thing. It's ultimately the hardest thing. I mean, I I admire Oprah so much. She's someone I, I've looked up to since I was a little girl and used to watch her on TV. And one of the things that she said toward the end of her television show was that her main intention and the, the kind of message she wanted everyone to walk away from when they watched her on television was that you are the only person who can take care of you. And it seems like a simple message, but at least for myself, it has been the hardest thing to do, right? And it's kind of contrary to everything else we receive in society is that no matter how smart I consider myself to be, I'm still waiting for someone to show up and take care of me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's so stupid when I say it out loud, but it's true. No, I Um, feel that every day. (laughs) Right? Right? And And so if we can somehow internalize that and really take it in and, and kind of um, just kind of be in relationship with that idea that it's not a negative thing to say we only have ourselves. It's not that you don't trust other people. It's not that you don't have relationships. But it's just that the longest relationship you'll ever have is with yourself. Yeah. And um, so what does that mean? Like what are you doing to take care of that and to, to grow in that? It's funny because something I really connected with in – one of your, I think it was in the episode about a league of their own. Um, mm. And I also loved that Malcolm X episode, by the way, and was really struck by that, that theme of like change, you know, changing your mind publicly yeah. and all of that. But um, you also mentioned in a league of, about a league of their own, that you were a very romantic kid and you like kind of wish that Dottie and the coach yes. would get together. And I was the same. I loved that movie. I watched it so much as a kid. And I also was like, oh, I want her to end up with him. And you were saying as an adult now, you really appreciate that it didn't go there. Yeah. But um, something I was what wondering. What do you think that was about for you? Sorry, not to, oh, to no, derail. No. But why do you think you felt that way too? Well, we were talking about it in our production meeting. And first of all, there was funny because some, some of my colleagues were like, ew, he's so old. And I'm like, <laughs> First of all, I think they were close to the same yeah, age. Yeah, I don't think that they were. <laughs> yeah, if anything, like that's a less creepy relationship exactly. than a lot of others that we see. Um, I think I was also a very romantic kid. And something I was curious about when I heard that was, I, I wonder if you came from a similar place of like, um, well, for one thing, I just think there's like the certainty of that's what love is. And like, you can put it in this box and like, oh, well, but if she loves her husband, how could she have this moment with him? And if, you know, this as a little kid, I'm thinking this, you know, like yeah. um, there's just something about it that you can't just put into like a neat box. And so I think I wanted, I just, I always crave that certainty, even as much as I am still a very curious person. Um, there's a big part of me that wants certainty, but yeah. also I just was always really drawn to the fantasy of, um, being taken care of and or rescued by someone and yeah. the narratives I was given about that were you know by a man um and so I was kind of curious if um kind of what obviously not all movies are romantic but were there moment was there a moment or were there moments growing up when you were like oh crap like that whole romantic thing I got from movies uh kind of led me <laughs> to uh, like some mistaken beliefs or some like um I don't know oh did you God, ever... <laughs> yeah. every single romantic comedy ever yeah. made <laughs> um with the rare exceptions I mean 
I, I think that we as women have received such terrible messages from romances. Um, there are very few that really talk about what we were just talking about, which is the, the reality of loving yourself and how that's really where it begins, right, in the relationship with yourself. Um, I think one of the reasons I love Sleepers in Seattle, and, and I don't, I've never found anyone who thinks of this movie in the same way I do, so it might just be that I've become really, um, I just want to read into it more than there, <laughs> because I've had a conversation with many people who love it. But one of the things I love about that movie is that the whole movie is about them as separate people. Um, and you as a viewer fall in love with them as separate people, right? Like I love, I fall in love with Meg Ryan for who she is and her, her quirks and her idiosyncrasies, but also how much she loves her family. And she has this great relationship with her best friend. And, um, she falls in love with this guy based on what he shares, this vulnerable thing that he shares on the radio. And, um, then the other hand, you have Tom Hanks character and, and he's, you know, grieving and, and trying to raise his son and. You, you get to know them and fall in love with them as separate people. And that, to me, felt so um, rebellious at the time when I saw it because everything else I had seen previous to then, every romance, was about the couple. And it was not about them as individuals. It was about who are they together? Do, you know, do they fight? Do they? But it was always about them together. It was never the sense of them having their own identities and being separate people. Um, so that one is one of the few that stands out to me. But... Boy, it is crazy. <laughs> like, even though, I mean, the books that I read when I was a little girl were all tragic, you know. It was, there were always, it was Wuthering Heights and Jane Eyre and all the Shakespeare. Like, it was always the fact that if you loved someone, it had to be, it had to feel bad, it had to feel painful, and then someone had to die. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you separated, you couldn't be together, Um and I think that's why, you know, one movie that comes to mind that I really want to do uh, an episode about is this movie called Last Chance Harvey with Emma Thompson and Dustin Hoffman. And what makes it singular, again, is because they're two separate people. They're older. Um, they're in very different stages in their life and in their careers. And they meet um, really by chance. And they, they start to feel this chemistry. But more than anything, what they're feeling is a deep friendship. And from the friendship is where the feelings of love start to form. Mm. And I don't think I've seen that very often. You know, I think we've seen like friends with benefits and um, now I'm going to start thinking about like no strings attached, like all these mm -hmm. um, other kinds of movies where there are friendships. But I don't know. I think there's something to coming to a place in your life where you love yourself. And the thing you, the thing you're certain of is that you love yourself and that you know yourself. And if you have that, I do think you can connect with someone else on a different level. Um, and there are very few movies that show that, sadly. Yeah, and there, I mean, the thing that always struck me was that usually in those romantic comedies or romantic movies that I would watch, the movie ended once they got together, yes. usually. Mm -hmm. And so there's really no portrayal of oh. of relationship. There's a portrayal of pursuit and... Yeah maybe a little bit of a honeymoon stage and then something tears them apart and then they get back together. But like, it's all about That's pursuing. Terrible message because then what you think unconsciously with the message I got, and I don't know if you got this message too based on that, but the message I got is that that's where, that's where it ends. You've yeah. achieved, right? Like that's it. You, you got the guy or you got the woman. Um, and that's it. You should now be happy. Not understanding that good luck the relationship is work. Yeah. <laughs> take a lot of work. And there are going to be beautiful, joyous moments. And there's going to be a lot of pain because falling in love with someone, allowing yourself to be open in that way means that you can be hurt and you can be really vulnerable. And, and that's been harder to see in a movie. I, I don't think they that that's been achieved, honestly, in the same way that um, – that I think sometimes in books you can get. You can get a little bit more of that um, – the interior life of a relationship and, and be able to see that it's the journey and not just the, <laughs> the success of you got the girl, you got the guy. Yeah. And that there's going to be boring moments too. Like obviously that doesn't make a good oh, yeah. movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but it's like, I think a lot of people think something's wrong when they feel the full range of human experiences, which includes boredom, sadness, you know, whatever. Um, because we, the narratives are so strong of just like this person should just make you feel alive and 
head over heels and then the story's over. <laughs> so Yeah, you're so right. I think that's one of the reasons why I love, you know, the movies, the trilogy before sunrise, before sunset. Um and now the is it after midnight? Is that the last third one? Before midnight? I think are they all before? Now it's hitting me the before. <laughs> <laughs> um but and even boyhood, you know, they're all Richard Linklater movies and um it's because so much of it is those moments where you're just spent talking to someone. Mm. Um, and I feel like that's more realistic to my relationships. My romantic relationships have been that I treasure those moments where you're just talking to each other and you're having intimacy. And um, that to me is how intimacy is built. And so it's it's been beautiful to be able to watch those movies. And in particular, the couple in the Before trilogy, because you see them in their early 20s. Um, all the way up to their late 40s, early 50s. And you really see the progression of them as people. And again, not just as the couple, but as people, as who they are as individuals. Mm. Yeah. Well, and, and since we started getting into the movie stuff, I want to ask you about... <laughs> it's never too far away. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I've heard you talk about movies as like your church, and I think you kind of jokingly, well, somewhat jokingly, referred to uh, Roger Ebert as one of your prophets in the oh, Malcolm definitely. X episode. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm curious to know, like, when did that relationship to movies begin for you? And did you always kind of see them as these, you know, vehicles for for gaining wisdom, for learning lessons about how to live and and things like that? Yeah, I my dad's actually a pastor. He's a um, what well, would it be in the United States an evangelical pastor. Um, and he, after church, uh, which we met Saturday nights, we would go to the video store and rent movies. And he was very strict on what we watched and what we listened to. So music was also he was he was always looking at our CDs because it was the '80s, and I had my brother and I loved rap, so we had a lot of. Uh, hiding the parental explicit lyrics <laughs> label so that my dad wouldn't see them. Um, but so he would monitor what we listened to and what we would watch. Interestingly enough, he never monitored my books. And so I read a lot of things I shouldn't have been reading um, at the ages that uh, were totally inappropriate. Um, but, but with movies, so because of that, he would make sure that he would choose movies that were the kind of thing you would honestly study now when you do film studies. When I was in college and I did film studies, I had already watched a lot of the classic movies because he had raised us on them. And so we had that ritual of after church going to the video store and picking a movie. And so I think it started from when I was very little doing that. Um, it was always a form of our family coming together. It's, to be honest, the only time our family really comes together is around watching a movie. Um, and then what I started to realize is that they represented for me a place where I did learn not only about another culture or um, people that I never would have met, but about myself. I started really reflecting and asking questions based on the movies that I was watching as a kid. And then once I was old enough to select my own movies, um, the movies that I was, was choosing, in a way that with books I don't do, books for me are an escape. I mean, I truly immerse myself in a book and I escape. And it's not that I don't learn anything from it, but it's almost like they're a friend. Um, I think about the books that I've loved in my life and I feel very accompanied by them. I don't have that feeling with movies. With movies, I feel like I'm, I am going to church. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to be accompanied by these characters and the story. And I'm going to learn something about the world, about myself. And with a particularly good movie, the more you watch it, the older you get, you learn different things just because you're bringing to it something entirely different. Um, and I think, yeah, it's always been that way. It's always felt that way. Movies, you know, I read, I would read a book and it would move me. And again, I would love it. But when I would watch a movie, I remember the first time I saw, um, you know, Dr. Zhivago, I cried for days. The first time I saw Braveheart, I cried. Like I was inconsolable. I was mm -hmm. kind of a lunatic. And so that's one of the reasons my dad was like very selective. And I remember when Schindler's List came out, we, we loved Steven Spielberg in our house. And he was like, well, technically you're too young. And But even when I was of age to watch it, he's like, I don't think you should watch it because he knew that it, I would be like a week just crying. Um, and so they've always been that for me. They've always been this beautiful classroom, you know, um, to, to teach me and to reflect on. And it's magical. It really is. I'm so grateful that I have it because to this day, whenever I need 
I mean, I go to the movies and I see a lot of junk. Don't get me wrong. I watch <laughs> a lot of bad action movies that I thoroughly enjoy. Um, but when I have the experience of going to see a movie and I'm completely just transported into this world and I come out of it feeling changed, I mean, that's, an, that's as close to drugs as, uh, you know, I can get <laughs> legally. <laughs> um, and so it's just, it's always felt that way to me. And it's been, yeah, a really wonderful gift in my life. It's funny because I, I have always been so sensitive and as a kid was definitely really sensitive. And like, if I watched a movie, um, that really hit me in that spot, like it would also send me into a spiral for like a week or whatever. Um, and I'm curious, like as an adult now, do you ever kind of do what your dad used to do for you and go like, maybe not that movie right now? Yes, I definitely do. And actually I relate to what you're saying. I think I don't, I've not lost that sensitivity because a movie, there are movies that I, I have to censor. If I know a movie features violence towards women, mm-hmm. um, extreme violence, like just, um, and not like Tarantino violence. I find mm-hmm. Tarantino actually just, he's so slapsticky in a lot of ways. It's, it's not offensive. It's just kind of gross. Um, but because it's so over the top, I don't feel, it doesn't feel real to me. Mm-hmm. And I very much am aware it's a movie. But um, the last movie that I couldn't sleep from was the, um, I think it's called, um, oh, Ex Machina, the mm. one that um, um, Oscar Isaac, Oscar Isaac did, and um, where it's this idea of the way women were essentially the robots used for the pleasure of this man. It just unnerved me yeah. so much. And it also, to be honest, struck, struck close to home. You know, I, I'm, I'm Latina and my family and my culture is very sexist. And, you know, just speaking about my family and my community in particular in Miami, you know, I, I didn't see a lot of examples of women that weren't um, for the pleasure of men. And, and I don't mean that just sexually, but, you know, just at the home, right? Like you cook and you clean and you're there to serve the, the husband, the man of the house and so any time that that kind of feeling is resonated, it's uncomfortable for me. Um, it's a little too close to home. And any movie that just showcases kind of the worst of humanity, the evil that's possible. Yeah. Nightcrawler, that was another one with Jake Gyllenhaal that I could not sleep for a, a couple of days. And it really unnerved me because it was, it's not so much just a murder, but it's the fact that... The, the kind of intimacy that you experience with the person committing the murder, the reasons and the the sheer kind of existence of evil, that kind of stuff really, yeah. <laughs> really affects me. And so, um, you know, it's no longer like growing up in a religious family. It's no longer the devil stuff. It's not like Satan stuff like that stuff. I'm like, eh. um, it doesn't feel real in the same way. But um, I think because of the world we live in, how much we're bombarded on the news with, it's just really terrible crimes um, against humanity that that stuff becomes really hard for me yeah. to watch. Yeah, even like Handmaid's, Handmaid's Tale, a book that I read in high school, um, and that was distressing, but from what I've heard from the show, I'm like, I can't watch it. So I, I censor myself a lot now, actually, uh, particularly with TV shows. Yeah, it's so interesting because people will talk about movies or TV shows and they're like, oh, it's amazing. And I'm like, that does sound amazing. And it sounds like it would be so moving to me (laughs) or so distressing to me that I don't feel like I can watch it because it gets to a point where it feels like it would be counterproductive. When I started to have like a physiological reaction, you know, like I movies for me like my empathy is just it's like there's no boundary between me and what's happening to you know the characters on the screen yeah I mean I remember the experience of watching Dancer in the Dark I don't know have you seen that one no I haven't oof well I don't know if you should ever watch it um it's first of all there's I won't even get into the director who's very problematic for a multitude of reasons Lars von Trier but um it's a movie that I I remember at the end of it, I mean, I was I had sobbed the majority of the movie. And at the end, I, I really just wanted to get into a little ball and just curl up because it was horrible. You're left feeling horrible. Mm. And that's kind of his MO. He loves doing that to mm-hmm. people. Um, but in this one in particular, because it was the singer, Neil Bjork, and um, I, a singer I love, and mm. um, watching her 
go through this, these horrible things. And it's, Oh my God, it was just painful to watch. And, and I'm, I've never seen it again. I never want to see it again. I, and I question what the validity of an experience like that is, mm. you know, again, this director really enjoys doing that to people. He's talked about it. Um, and I think that's problematic. Um, but like as a human being, what is the validity of seeing that? And I'm not saying every movie needs to end with hope, right? Or like we were saying with romances, nor does it every every movie have to end with the happy ending of the couple getting together. But there is a responsibility of of the movie in the sense of what is the message you take from it, right? Yeah. What is it you gain from it um, as a viewer? Because it because it does affect you and impact you. Yeah, and like, what is the goal with it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I'm curious, like. Uh, something that you and I talked about earlier was this whole idea of wisdom and how, you know, obviously you can gain a lot from the movies and texts that you interact with. And, um, you know, as someone who works for On Being and you worked for StoryCorps, it, I feel like you have just been like really in this wisdom business <laughs> um <laughs> lucky enough to eavesdrop <laughs> yeah and and I was wondering um you know like for part I was sharing with you that one of the reasons I started the podcast was because I was I was thinking about wisdom and from the perspective of a young adult who's just kind of like you know you're just kind of starting your young adult life and part of you kind of maybe wants to make certain mistakes and part of you if you're also kind of drawn to wisdom traditions and maybe spirituality or you know something along those lines there can be this like tension of mm. okay I'm only you know when I graduated from college I'm only 22 and I kind of want to I know I can't do it all perfectly and um but at the same time like I, I'm drawn to this wisdom tradition so I'm curious what your relationship has has been with that and if there's even, you know, if there are things that you're like, well, that was unwise, but I, I can't bring myself to regret it. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, first I would say that I mean, you yourself have such wisdom. I think there's the wisdom that I'm learning we all have just in our bodies. But that's a wisdom that we don't often talk about and really um, explore and exploit in a positive way. I think so many of the times where I have felt uh, regret has been when I haven't listened to that and haven't listened to myself um, and instead done the thing that other people expected of me or, or that I thought was the right thing or, um, or to be kind to myself, the thing that at the time made the most sense, right? Yeah. And so I think that's, that's the other part of it is understanding that you can be wise and make mistakes. And it's been um, really comforting for me to learn and listen to people older than myself who are very open about that and who are open about continuing to make mistakes, right? Um, you know, one of the biggest gifts that I got from StoryCorps was listening to people's stories um, and the imperfections of them. Now, those were never the ones we would produce for NPR. Like, that's part of the whole issue we were talking about with romances. Like, NPR, the, the pieces, the two-and-a-half-minute pieces that you would often hear on the radio, um, were the ones that ended with like a feel good kind of feeling, right? Mm. Like um, there was a reason that was done that way. And, and I, I think there's a place for it. Um, but the gift that I got were actually, actually came from listening to stories that were really imperfect um, and sometimes brutal to listen to. And they were filled with people making mistakes and then naming them. And if they had the opportunity to, to, rectify their own behavior because of them. Um, and so I learned a lot about the reality of you will make mistakes, but it's about how you react to them. What do you do after, right? Um, I don't think we often see that modeled publicly in our public figures very often, um, with rare exception, but I do think that the wisest people understand that. Um, the wisest people are also really flawed. Um, a lot of the wise people in my life are people who suffer from depression, anxiety, um, have really complicated uh, personalities, and they're not any less wise, right? Yeah. <laughs> but they're trying. I think that the aspirational nature of it um, 
has been really comforting for me because, you know, growing up in a church, growing up um, watching religious figures, not just my father, um, it can be very easy to discredit um, either the, the spiritual practice, the tradition, or even the person if they fail in any way. And one of the saddest things for me has been watching how often, and I'll just use Christianity as an example because it's what I know best, um, in Christianity, like someone will be revealed to be, you know, an adulterer or um, stole money or, you know, whatever the litany of crimes could be or, or sins, and they're rejected. And you never hear about them being, um, you know, taken under uh, a community support, um, someone reaching out to them. You know, publicly, they are completely rejected and made fun of and cast aside. And you never hear about the recovery of that person or did somebody accompany them. Um, and I think that's been a big lesson for me, too, when, when I make mistakes it's not just asking for forgiveness, but also um, asking for friends who are going to sit with me in it and uh, accompany me in it. And that's hard, especially if you disagree with someone, right, and the actions that they've taken. Um, but chances are you're going to be in that place at some point in your life. You know, you will need that as well. Um, so the wisest people have been, for me, people who name what they've done, and not as a way of punishing themselves or a way of um, self-flagellation, right? But in a way to say, this isn't all that I am. You know, this is something I did, but it's not, it doesn't define me and I'm working on it and I continue to move forward. Um, and I'm not going to wait um, till I'm 80 and on my deathbed to try to reconcile the things that I've done in my life. And yeah, I would say that, the gift of having older people older than you, it's such, um, for me, it's comforting because I have friends who are 70 and they don't have it figured out. And yeah. that is comforting. <laughs> That's comforting to me too. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I have friends who are 25 and, and they don't have it figured out and they're wiser than me in, in areas that I was at their age, just so dumb, so stupid and <laughs> so mean to myself, you know? And um, I think one of the hardest things to do as a, as a woman in particular, just because it's my experience, is not to compare yourself to other women, uh, right? And not <laughs> yeah. to say like, but look at what she has or look at how she looks or or look at the person she's dating or, you know, like all these things we do and just bring ourselves down. And, you know, it's going back to that idea we were talking about with Oprah. Like it's the hardest thing to do to just say, I'm doing the best I can and I'm enough. Um, and I love myself. I love myself in this moment. I'm not waiting to be, you know, 40 pounds lighter <laughs> or um, to be married or to have kids or whatever it is that you think is the pinnacle of, of success as a woman. Um, it's just right now where I'm at because I don't know if this has happened to you, but it's definitely happened to me where I look back at old pictures of myself and I remember concretely in that, in that moment, yep. when I was 22 feeling really fat and ugly and I go, Oh my God, I looked so good. Yep. I was and just, <laughs> just talking about that with someone. Yeah. And then I'm like, what the hell's wrong with me? Why couldn't I have enjoyed that in that moment? But I think, again, it's the distraction of, of the other, of other, you know, I need to be better. I need to, the distraction of not being yourself. Yeah. Uh, it kind of takes you away from the presence of being in the moment. Um, and if you can, if you can figure that out, I mean, that's the wisest people I feel like are the ones who are the most present throughout their day, like the most actually present to either the person they're talking to or an activity, you know, um, that's something I'm still working on. It's not allowing myself to be distracted because it's, so easy. Yeah. And it's funny because I, I find my mind going to social media and the internet, right? Mm. As we're, as you're saying all of this, because, you know, the first thing I was thinking about was when you were talking about how we don't forgive people or let people make mistakes or change their minds. And I feel like I've heard Krista Tippett talk about this um, in regards to like politicians. Um, Definitely. Yeah. But I also am thinking about um, 
I feel like there's so much pressure to like use the exact right vocabulary and like have the exact right opinion and the exact right way of expressing it. And if you don't, like you are a really bad person Mm -hmm. and like some people can really – I don't know. And it's such a tricky thing because there's so much value in like learning about other people's experiences, obviously, and then respecting other people's experiences and being willing to be wrong and um, to accept criticism or make mistakes. But then there's, I don't know, I just often feel like there's this, it gets to this pitch of like, I guess it's that whole, I don't know, cancel culture or whatever and like call yeah. out culture. And like, I, I get so kind of... uh torn about it because I see the power um, and I see like obviously the really necessary uh, like the forces behind it but it also feels like we live in this perfectionist culture and then you know the the other flip side of social media is okay you can have that kind of more like social political aspect of perfectionism and then at the same time you're looking at people and going I wish I had that person's body I wish I had their house I wish I could cook like them you know like what (laughs) I wish I wish I wanted like for me sometimes it's like I wish I wanted all of those things that Mm. people seem to want that I just feel ambivalent about sometimes and like what's wrong with me for feeling ambivalent about that stuff because it makes you feel like you're not normal, right? I mean, yeah. At the end of the day, I, I love this. There's this amazing book by um, Emily Nagoski um, uh, called Come As You Are, which I recommend yeah. every woman. Um, but, you know, she spends, I think it's the foreword or maybe the first chapter where she talks about how she spends most of her time when she first meets first meets a woman and, and talks to them about their sexuality, their body. It's always, is this normal? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the first question. Yep. Um, and I feel like that's kind of the brunt of most of the questions we're asking. All that we're Googling all the time is like, is this <laughs> <Yeah>. normal? <laughs> um, and I think you're totally right. It's just, it's this constant sense of, well, I, if I don't want it this way, if I don't want my life to look this way, it must not be normal. Mm-hmm. Or even if I don't think that, like people seem so filled up online like oh this person like they're just talking about how their heart is so full right now with like whatever um I don't know like people seem filled up and it's like why do I feel a little bit empty um I struggled so much with I'm I'm like I'm now not on Facebook or um Instagram or Twitter and I struggled with it because it was because it made me feel bad about myself and and I couldn't, no matter how much I would meditate or kind of like try to go, well, that's that person. It doesn't affect me. It would. And so kind of like we were talking about censoring certain movies and certain TV shows, I just realized that I couldn't, I, it wasn't good for my mental health to to be online. And I don't think that that's prescriptive and it's not for everyone. And there are some people who really enjoy it and connect for myself. It just made me feel bad. And I, I couldn't find a way around that. And so ultimately I was like, well, I have to just police myself. You know, it's like, if I know that I buy all the Sour Patch kids, I'm going to eat all the Sour Patch kids. <laughs> yeah. I can't have the whole bag in my house. Like I will eat it when I go to the movies. Um, so different little things like that. And I think there's also nothing wrong with, with saying that. And even though I recognize that it makes me sound like some kind of elitist or blah, blah, blah. Like it was just because for me it was too hard. No, it doesn't at all. It's funny because when I was look, you know, I was, like trying to read or listen to whatever I could about you before our conversation. And I was like, is she not on social media? That's yeah. so badass. Like she's in media. Uh, like, does that mean, cause I've struggled oh, yeah, with that it. Has been, that has been a tough thing. Yeah. Cause you'll get criticized, right? Yeah. For not being- mm-hmm. And I've like with the podcast, you know, I want to, I want to genuinely be part of a community and like share stuff, but also, you know, interact. Um, yeah. And so for a while, there was actually a helpful practice in me like showing, being myself and being like, okay, I can put something out that's like funny or weird or messy. And um, like, that's a good practice. But then it got to a point where I was like, I don't think this isn't like, I've really pulled back because Mm -hmm. I do just like, I don't feel good. you know. And I think your community respects that and wants that. I mean, a a podcast that I used to love called Another Round, um, you know, the women on that show were so open about, you know, hey, we're not recording for this amount of time because we're dealing with some personal issues. Mm-hmm. I have mental health issues going on. I think it's also important to give people permission. 
um, I think that's one of the things that that I really value um, from particularly women who do that and who openly talk about something that they're struggling with in their life. Because what it does is that it gives you permission to feel, oh, okay, I don't have to do that this way. Um, I don't I don't have to look this way, feel this way, all the, the things that we compare in our lives. And it, it makes you feel less alone, ultimately. Um, and I think people respect the integrity you have. Um, in your case, you know, with the content you create, I think that it's very much if you were constantly posting all the time I think actually people would question (laughs) yeah like are you okay (laughs) yeah Yeah. well this has been lovely um and I know you have a meeting to get to so I don't want to make you late or anything but this has been so like wonderful can I ask you a question oh absolutely so because you you are incredibly wise um I'm just curious what what advice have you been holding on to right now or what piece of wisdom even just today feels really important to you that you would share with me? Oh wow. It's funny like I've because I do struggle with my you know with anxiety and OCD and depression and stuff and I've been in a kind of a low I don't know like a lower point where I'm like, "Huh, I don't, you know, <laughs> I'm not mm-hmm. doing too hot." And um I just think about I just try to remind myself uh to be gentle Mm. like I just think the word gentleness and I I and I still can't like quite do it for myself but I can at least recognize that I'm not being gentle yeah and just I just try to think of people who are and um I think about Pema Chodron a lot and how she'll just be Mm. like no big deal (laughs) yeah (laughs) no big deal (laughs) Um, and yeah, so, so I just say to myself, like gentleness, I don't even say be gentle because then I'm reprimanding myself. Exactly. (laughs) That's so wise of you. Yes. So I just say, (laughs) okay, gentleness. And then I say, no big deal. And Mm -hmm. that's what I've been doing lately. That's really helpful. That's really helpful. I, I, I needed that today. Mm. Thank Thank you. I, I saw the Mr. Rogers movie over the weekend, so I'm also still a little. Oh my gosh! Emotional. I can't wait to see that. <laughs> yeah, maybe go alone unless you have no problem crying in front of people. But especially right now that you you said you were feeling very tender, which I relate to. I'm I'm feeling very tender. I um, recently um, my boyfriend broke up with me, and it's mm. it was pretty shocking. And and I've just been really, um, yeah, really vulnerable and. So I've just seen this movie was this beautiful reminder of kind of what happens when you open yourself up. Um, and, and the fact that that's when, you know, love comes in and, and humanity, um, your humanity comes out. And it's actually very surprising because I love Mr. Rogers and love his story. And the movie's really not about him, which, mm. is, which is great. Like they did such a beautiful job of encompassing his his message, what he wanted people to get from his work. And they distilled it in this character of the journalist. Um, and yeah, it actually feels a lot of times like Mr. Rogers is talking to you. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's really beautiful, but it's very unexpected. Yeah. I would, I would suggest don't read anything up about it or the making or anything. Cause I didn't see any of it coming. Mm. Um, even though I, I had read the original story that they had based it on with, with Tom Janot, the journalist, but it was still really surprising the way that um, the director chose to, to film it and, and tell the story. And it really just feels like, yeah, just it's inspiring. It feels mm-hmm. great. So I'd say, yeah, see, go see it and just prepare to cry. <laughs> <laughs> I will. And I'm sorry to hear going through a breakup that's been in the past for me, like one of the hardest things was going through a tough breakup. And um yeah. So I, I really can feel, I just know that feeling and how incredibly tender it can be. So thank you. Yeah. It's, it's been really the first time I've been going through a tough time and actually talked about it. And that has Mm. felt, um, important, which is surprising to me because I'm someone who very much is like okay I'm just gonna deal with it and I don't have to talk about it right like I can just in the past in my 20s in particular when I went through some some hard times um 
I just, I didn't talk about it with anyone, even though I've always been so fortunate to have amazing friends. And this, I have been really careful to not do that because I recognize, I do think that not talking about it in my 20s really prevented me from healing. And there's something about naming something and being vulnerable with someone else when you're sad or going through pain that I think helps you heal. And I don't know what that is. I don't know why why that seems to be the case, but I, I have felt it very much uh, right now. Um, in the immediacy, it's, it's been a little bit over two months since it happened. In the immediacy of it, like mm-hmm. it's felt really important to both be alone, but then also when I'm with my friends um, to really be open about, you know, I'm sad. And not saying like, you know, when they ask you, like in the past, I would be like, oh, I'm fine. Like, yeah, no, yeah. don't say that. <laughs> no, it's funny. Like I made one of my best friends when I was going through a breakup because we worked mm-hmm. in the same place, but hadn't really met each other. And then I was crying in the break room and she came in and I had read a, I think it was like a Facebook post. She was a poet and she posted a breakup poem and it was about a breakup she had gone through. So I, I just had this split second where I could have said, I'm fine and not told her what was happening. But I remembered her poem and I just went like, actually, I'm going through a really tough breakup. And we just became, it's been like six years and we've been great yeah. friends. And yeah. and it came through this really painful moment yeah. for you. But there's something in that, just the way you did it for me, it, it makes me feel less alone when I hear that, you know, that you've been through it and and you survived it and you're still living, you know, because yeah. some days, you know, it feels hard. Yeah, um, absolutely. Feelings are so overwhelming. Yep. <laughs> feelings are so overwhelming. Yep. So I appreciate that. Yeah. But really, truly, I'm I'm just so grateful for you and, and your presence in the world and the work that you do and thank you no i mean i absolutely feel i mean on being has been such a huge like amazing um influence for me and your work on this movie changed me has been i love listening to that podcast like there's something so great about being able to put it on um and be like i know for a half hour i'm just gonna feel like i'm with a friend with two friends you know two friends and it's always so warm and funny and insightful and it it feels so human and down to earth while also being so smart and thoughtful. So just thank you so much. And this has been so lovely. Thank you. Same. Thank you so much for listening to the perennials podcast. I'm Victoria Russell. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and leave a review on iTunes. It really helps other people to find the show. You can follow along on Instagram at perennialspodcast, and feel free to send me an email at perennialspodcast at gmail.com. The song you're hearing now is I Orbit the Moon by Paul Finn.